0: This is Oral Valley Catholic and this is Father John Arnold and today we're going to talk about the ascension of the Lord to the right hand of God. So here's a good question, a thought experiment. Which is greater, being six years old again and tearing around on your new tricycle or after 60 years of a happy marriage, watching your healthy newest grandchild tearing around on her new bicycle? Okay, they're both pretty good. But what do you think if you're the child? You probably just don't understand how your grandparents love you and think about you. But if you're the grandparent, you have all this experience that can lift up and understand what it's like to be six years old, a new tricycle, but also the joy of marriage to watch your kids grow up and mature. It's a richer, fuller experience of love. So there are some distinct blessings to getting older. You know, we're tempted to think that the joys we have are pretty good and that if we just multiply them, they'll be better. But the Feast of the Ascension calls that into question. When we have grown up, we no longer want to ride the tricycle ourselves. Our source of joy comes from deeper wells. St. John Henry Newman, reflecting on the inadequacy of earthly pleasures compared to heaven, he wrote, from sad experience, I'm too sure that whatever is created, whatever is earthly, pleases but for a time, and then pales and is weariness. I believe that there's nothing at all here below that I would not at length get sick of. I believe that, though I had all the means of happiness that this life could give, yet in time, I would tire of living, feeling everything trite and dull and unprofitable. Well, if heaven is nothing more than just the goods available in this world multiply. It might not be an eternal joy. It might be an eternal horror. But that story I told about how an experience of love grows deeper and richer and more deeply satisfying with age may in some sense point to what the joy of heaven and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit and life in the most holy trinity has to offer every human being. In our life on earth, we experience joys, we experience tears, we experience sadness, we experience pleasure. And in some sense, um, heaven is in at least some of that. But all of these joys, all of these pains are not eternal joys. I remind you that when Jesus rose from the dead, he had all of his wounds. What in the world does that mean? Well, the ascension directs the meaning of the resurrection to heaven and the reality of life in the most holy trinity. What's it like to dwell in God? Because that's what heaven is. The feast of the ascension is followed in a week by Pentecost, which is the feast of the Holy Spirit, followed by a week of the feast of the most holy trinity, and then followed by the feast of Corpus Christi, it's about the body of Christ, the enduring reality of the incarnation of God amongst us. These four feasts, somehow they talk to us about what heaven is. And over the next four weeks, I'm going to talk about heaven and I'm going to talk about God and how we think about God and ought to think about God in order that we might see his glory even here on earth jesus ascends as love must ascend to the source of all real love so we could receive the gift of the holy spirit in turn the holy spirit will bring us into life in the trinity the christ that ascended into heaven is with us in the sacrament of his body and blood you know you probably have figured out that the ascension and the assumption of our blessed lady are connected because jesus ascends into heaven mary is assumed into heaven Both of these mysteries are about the end times, about our own resurrection, what'll happen to our bodies after death. You know, we all talk or hear about near death experiences and somehow they seem to track what the ascension and the assumption say about life after death, at least that's my opinion. But in our resurrection, it's not a disembodied soul that goes into heaven as in those near death experiences but the totality of who we are lifted up in uh, grace to the joy of contemplation of the eternal truth of God, Son, and Holy Spirit present in everything that they do. We'll celebrate the Assumption of Mary on August 15th, and I'll have more to say then, I hope. But once again, these feasts all direct us to the true source of love, where love, however we've experienced in our life, has to go if it's going to be fulfilled. This feast about the uh, ascension is, as we are told in the Catholic Catechism, par- par- paragraph 663, that Christ isn't up there as a ghost, but he is seated bodily in the throne of power next to the right hand of the Father. In fact, that's what we say, isn't it, when we recite the creed at Mass? that Jesus ascended to the right hand of the Father. Okay, so I can't really explain that to you. These are religious truths, but we're going to talk about them some more in this podcast because this series of feasts that we're celebrating are at the heart of the good news of the gospel and the nature of God. During the time of these feasts, we will talk about the revelation of Jesus as the Son of God, how it is that we think about the triune God and what that means in the gift of our faith, our hope, and love. So how do we think about God? And I'm gonna talk about this for the next four weeks because it is endlessly fascinating to me. You know, when we talk about God, We talk about God mostly analogously. When we say God is the Trinity, God is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, three divine persons. That's a description, I guess, but it's clearly not uh, an explanation. But it does set the stage to start thinking in the church about what that might mean about the nature of God. And what does life in the Most Holy Trinity offer a believer? And what does the ascension have to do with this eternal life? Revelation means that a veil, reveal, has been pulled back, making the invisible visible. The revelation of the Son of God opens, in a certain sense, the glory of God to human eyes. The glory of God is sensible in some sense, but it's always in an analogous sense or in a way that participates in the goodness of God because we cannot really know God as God the best we get is Jesus, the Scriptures, the sacraments. But this holiness of God can never be expressed in human terms. The Gospel in itself is God in human language. The sacraments are God under the appearance of earthly things, the visible, the rather the invisible made visible. Do you remember when Jesus dies in the Gospel of Matthew? It says that the temple, uh, in the, the veil of the temple split in two from top to bottom, revealing the holy of holies. Because somehow on that cross at the moment of his death, that is what the glory of God is. And you know what? That takes a little bit of faith and a lot of contemplation to start to understand. But that is what growth in the Christian faith means. Because We understand that the Holy of Holies is the life of the most holy trinity. Based on revelation, we believe in one God, three divine persons, and trying to understand how that can be so leads us to use analogies. We can speak of God perhaps only analogously that God is like this. An analogy about God can give us hints of divine things, but the reality will always escape the analogy. The limitations of an analogy, however, can also remind us of what God is not. That's called the via, via negativa in theology, that you can know what God is not, and then maybe have a clear understanding of what God is. No analogy can ever capture fully the mystery of the Trinity. But St. Patrick tried. Do you remember the one that St. Patrick's did? And this was the analogy of the shamrock he showed a shamrock to the heathen Irish, and as you know, the Irish are heathens. And it's one shamrock, three leaves. And you know, that is probably one of the most famous analogies used to describe the, the, the Trinity. And in some ways, it does illustrate the unity of God, one God, three divine persons, but it also illustrates the failures of analogies when it comes to God. And we should think about this, because this is helpful. The analogy of that shamrock is this good as far as it goes. But God does not have three parts like a shamrock does. You can't pull God apart. He's not divisible like that. It's one God in unity, these three divine persons. So the three-leaf clover is not really three in one, but it's one thing with three divisible parts. Okay, this analogy is useful, but it's limited. And friends, all the analogies we'll talk about over the coming weeks are united by one fact. They're all limited. Well, here's another analogy, and this is a a good visual. That God is like uh, water, which can be liquid or steam or ice. Well, it's the same substance, isn't it? Water, but water can be drunk. You can get steamed with it, or you can use it as ice in a drink but it's still that one water. But this analogy also, though it says something about oneness and and how uh, there can be three in one, uh, like God is three in one, it too has some pretty substantial limitations. The limitations of this analogy is the somewhat famous heresy called sabellianism or modalism. And that the idea is that there's one God and one day he comes says, I'm the father. Day two, Tuesday, he says, I'm the son. Third day, I'm now the Holy Spirit. It's like one God playing three divine parts. But no, I think Pope Benedict XVI really was excellent on this. He says, when we talk about father, son, and Holy Spirit, there is something real about God in each of those words because Jesus chose those words and so he wouldn't hide himself from us. But to see God as one God, three divine uh, acting parts is is somehow not to be faithful to the teaching of the Trinity. So like I said, in the coming weeks, we'll talk more about all of this. But now we're gonna turn to the Ascension and the Assumption of Mary. So what does the ascension have to do with the nature of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? We say he ascends to the right hand of the Father in order that the Holy Spirit can come. So the triune God is involved in the ascension. uh, Jesus' ascension is drawing us into this life-giving trinity. And Mary is assumed into heaven because, well, whatever you say of Jesus, he does for his mother what he does for his mother his disciple he does for us and so when you put the ascension and the assumption together it's always about the story of salvation and the end times and so the ascension the assumption in some ways is a revelation of how God is going to give life to the world so let's think about a few things about this gospel story here's the first you say that the first is after the resurrection jesus spent about 40 days before he ascended into heaven you you remember that 40 days is used throughout the scriptures with noah it rained 40 days and 40 nights to cleanse the world of sin moses wandered for 40 years in the desert with the people of israel they just had a bad they had just some bad luck and mostly uh, self-inflicted wounds jesus after his baptism goes out into the desert and is tempted by the uh, devil after 40 days and 40 nights of fasting. When you see that, it's a time of purification. And it's not about Jesus's purification and the story of the 40 days following Easter through Ascension, but it's about the story of the purification, the preparation of the church, going from being disciples to being sent out on mission. And obviously it really lit those guys up. And so this 40 days is the time for the church to think about her mission. And here's the second thing, that this 40 days and this ascension points the disciples towards Pentecost. And this is this point I was making about how the ascension participates in the Trinity. Uh, Jesus links his ascension to the descent of the Holy Spirit and he says, This is the part from Acts of the Apostles, our first reading today. While meeting with them, he enjoined them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father about which you have heard me speak. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. That's, by the way, why we're doing this nine-day novena. The Ascension, 40 days, is really Thursday. But since uh, attendance of the Holy Days can be poor throughout the church in America, uh, in our province, which is New Mexico and Arizona, we've moved the Ascension to Sunday. But Friday is when the Novena to the Holy Spirit started in our parish. And you can still find that on our website and join in. So the apostles go back and they spent their time between his Ascension and the gift of the Holy Spirit around Mary, that's what the Acts of the Apostles says, she's there. And she's the one who's experienced the Holy Spirit before. And they're preparing themselves for, well, what we know as Pentecost, which is 50 days after the resurrection of Jesus. Because Jesus, the God-man who we can see, ascends to heaven so that the Spirit of God whom we can't see will come. Because Jesus is the visible face of God that prepares us for the contemplation and experience of the invisible face of God. Because the joys of this world prepare us for another reality. And even our experience of being a kid riding a bike or an old codger looking back on a beautiful grandchild riding a bike. Something in us is made to be fulfilled, to grow, to understand, to experience love in a deeper way. And this leads us to the third point about these readings on the Ascension, as it's all directed towards heaven. You know, here's the thing about this, is Jesus spent his whole missionary life performing signs, uh, healing the blind, curing the lame, raising the dead, even his own resurrection. You know, we focus on what Jesus says, and that is very important, okay? Because faith comes from hearing, but seeing what he did does is God present, acting out for us what a human life looks like, how he treats people, what he loves, what he despises should treat us, uh, teach us, to learn to love the right things and despise the things that are worthy of being despised. So when he ascends into heaven, he's doing this in a cultural matrix, a cultural milieu um, that sees the heavens very different than you and I do. And so until the time of Newton and Galileo and Kepler, you know, the way that that goes all the way back to Ptolemy and Aristotle, uh, the Aristotelian Ptolemaic view of the universe was really widely shared with some uh, variations. But essentially, Earth in the middle with, uh, if you're the Greek, seven spheres, the outer one being the Imperium, which is the barrier between us and God. But those seven spheres have the seven visible uh, planets in it, including Earth uh, and the moon and the sun. Uh, they, They think of them all not as planets, as stars, But the word planet literally means wandering stars because these stars, the sun, the moon, Mars and Jupiter, Venus and Mercury, wander around against what is seemingly a fixed sky of all of these other stars shifting slowly uh, behind them, but in lockstep with each other. So you can see why these spheres kind of explain to the ancient people uh, what it is that the universe is like. Although I understand that the Hebrews had a version of it where there were actually three spheres and then the Imperium, but you get the point. It's all a common way of looking at things. So they looked up there and they saw that this was the the divine communicating to them. That's how pagans come up with astrology. We look up there and we see hunks of rocks hurtling around lit up by burning gas bags. So what I would say is, what we have gained in scientific knowledge we've lost in terms of vision because we see the world in such utterly impoverished terms. The ancients at least had the good sense to see the, the world as pointing to something greater than creation. And so here's Jesus and he's getting ready to ascend into this Ptolemaic Aristotelian world that they Uh, the disciples uh, understand and Jesus meets people where they are and so he's going to perform this sign and he's going to go up into the clouds this is what we're told happens and so here's what it says when they gathered together they asked him Lord are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel they're still on their little grinding little hobby horse right are we going to kick the Romans out and take over this country and he answered them it's not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father has established by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you'll be with my, be my witnesses in Jerusalem, throughout Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Well, Jesus meets us where we are. Do you really think those 11 apostles, Judas isn't there because he's apparently hung himself, but those 11 apostles could understand what was gonna follow in the next 21 centuries, what they were starting. And so how would Jesus even in principle tell them what they were really about? That's why it takes faith to follow after God. You know, uh, they were being prepared for this mission and the world that they lived in appeared to them so differently. But St. Thomas Aquinas reflected on what the apostles were taught. And he reflected deeply on why Jesus ascended into heaven. Here's what he said. He ascended into heaven to uplift our faith, our hope, and our love. Consider it like this. Christ ascended to uplift our faith. It's the Lord want us to have faith in ultimate reality, not in the things that are seen, because our vision is so limited, even the apostles. Our life in the spirit is more profitable for us, Thomas taught. Um, when Jesus would ascend then his continued bodily presence because it makes too much of this world. It's the spirit that lets us say, hey, there is a future to all of this. And we are being part of saving the world with God when we come to mass and we live our Catholic faith. And the Eucharist is sacramentally linked to the incarnation of Jesus, his bodily presence. And so he left us, but is still here. Wow, who could have figured that one out? Um, God, how about this? The second, Christ ascended into heaven to uplift our hope. So he says, if I shall go and prepare a place for you, this is what Jesus says, I will come again and take you to myself, that where I am, there you also may be. Well, the assumption of Mary is the proof of that, isn't it? The sign that Jesus is gonna fulfill his promises because he's taking this human, she's not God, taking this human up to heaven. And uh, she is a singular person because who she is to Christ, the new Eve, the Ark of the Covenant, the Queen Mother, all of these things that reflect on who Jesus is. Aquinas said that by placing in heaven the human nature which he assumed, along with his mom, Christ gave us the hope of going after him to a place, and this is what hope is, that all the distractions, the despair, the sorrows, the deaths, the agony of this life, they can't ever touch or corrupt. So here's Aquinas' third. Christ ascended to direct the fervor of our charity, of our love, to the true source of charity, the most holy trinity. Remember, in John's first letter, to abide in love is to abide in God. That somehow, that is God's glory amongst us. The Lord taught us to store our treasures in heaven. Do you remember that? Invite people to your party that can't pay you back. Love like God the Father loves. Quit looking for the payoff. Seek the things that are above where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. It's why I think Catholics find a great deal of satisfaction in helping people in this time when they need so much help. And so how does all of this help us to prepare for Pentecost? The ascension and the assumption of Mary ought to direct our contemplation towards the higher gifts promised by faith, hope, and love. It's keeping engaged. Part of the joy of getting older is that we see beauty, truth, and goodness in the simple gifts of our life, like a grandchild riding a trike. The Holy Spirit directs our love of life to the source of life, to the source of love. So this week, model your week on the apostles week who after the ascension returns to jerusalem with jesus's mom to spend nine days in intense prayer and on the 10th day experience the descent of the holy spirit you know our parish i said is sponsoring a novena to the holy spirit you may have already gotten notice of it you can find it on our webpage and call the front office and you can play catch up and get into those nine days of prayer It's not too late to jump in. It's never too late to follow Christ in faith, hope, and love, right? So spend this week contemplating the gifts that God has given you and how they are a sign of the gifts to come so that you can see in the gifts that are visible to you the love of the Most Holy Trinity, which is invisible. This is Oro Valley Catholic, Father John Arnold, and hope to see you next week.